and so I just said that, and, and, but I, and the sermon was about something completely different. But more people talked to me about that, and I thought, you know what, I should talk about knowing God, and that the fact is, we can know God, and we can have knowledge of God. And this is so important, this is so fundamental and foundational in our lives, that I should just talk about this sometime. And I thought, I should talk about that this week. And so that amazing message, we'll have to wait till next year or just another time. <laughs> and it, we're going to begin to dig into knowledge of God. I believe that we can have knowledge of God. And our world tells us we can't have knowledge of God. Uh, but the reality is that we can. And, and today I want to talk about that. And here's the deal. Anytime that you give a message based on saying we can know God or we can have knowledge of God... Um, it's usually this rambling rant, and about four or five hours later, you come to the conclusion of, well, who really knows? Um, and so I'm going to try not to do that today. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> and we're going to try and stick to some of the basics on this. But one of the things I want to start by making a point here, and we're going to continue on in this thread of thinking, knowledge can save our lives. Can knowledge save our lives? Yes, right? Basic knowledge can save our lives. I think there's a story um, of a woman named Letitia um, Harlins. Letitia Harlins. She's 15 years old. She's from um, L.A., and uh, she's actually not with us anymore. She died when she was 15. She walked into a liquor store. This was three weeks after the Rodney King beatings became public. She walked into a liquor store. Racial tensions were high in L.A., It was an all-black neighborhood, and she walked into a Korean store. The Korean store owners, who normally, the husband who was normally there, could not be there that day, and so he sent his wife, who did not speak a lick of English. Well, that store owner had heard that they'd been getting robbed a lot lately. They had just heard that there'd been a lot of theft, uh, petty theft, and it had been really hurting their business. And Letitia walks in like she did every single day, except for this lady did not know who this woman Letitia was. She walks in, she grabbed orange juice before school, and she walked up to the cashier, as she normally did every single day, and put it in her backpack. The woman behind the counter grabbed a stool and hit her over the head with it. She fell to the ground. She then proceeded to get beat and yelled at in Korean. Because Letitia didn't know a word of Korean, she, couldn't, she had no idea what was going on. And this woman... Um, right after these racially high times in L.A., right after um, her store being robbed and robbed and robbed, thought that she had caught a robber. She ran behind the counter and grabbed her gun. Letitia took the orange juice and threw it on the counter, saying, I don't even want it anymore, if you can imagine how scared she must have been. And she ran out the door only to get shot twice in the back with $2 in her hand the cost of the orange juice. In that scenario, knowing basic English, knowing basic communication would have saved a life. I uh, had a professor in college who started a program based around this woman called the Colorful Flags Program, and what he did was he went to um, racially diverse schools and he handed out little cards, and you sponsored a country. Um, in college, I, he did it to all of our classes, and the class, the language I got was Mandarin. So I know how to say ni hao ma, and it's hello, how are you doing? And the premise was knowing another language will help us not 
feel like we're enemies or strangers in this world, but will actually help us communicate to, to, with each other and avoid things like Letitia Harlan's. Now that story, I mean, it was, it was, there was actually a rap song written about it. There was a lot of, um, it got some publicity, but the bigger story was the riots and the Rodney King uh, case and all, all that. And so this story largely got kind of swept under the rug. But when the smoke cleared, the, the, the conclusive evidence came back was that if somebody were just to know a language, this wouldn't have happened. Knowledge can save us. I'm a certified scuba diver. Um, in fact, I have a REC certification, which means I'm a certified to uh, get gear to go down to uh, boats that have sunk and, and swim through them. I haven't done that in a number of years. Um, it's a lot of fun. But the deal is you need to know how deep you're going, and you need to know your mixtures of air, and you need to know how long you could stay under there, or else you could die or get severely injured. You need to know who it is you're going with. You need to know their um, knowledge level. You need to know their skill level. You need to know that you're not going with somebody who's panicky. Because if you get, or claustrophobic, if you're in the bottom of a boat 120 feet underneath the water, and somebody starts to get a little claustrophobic and panicky, you're in trouble. You only have one cylinder of 80 pounds of air on you, so it's not going to last forever. So you need to know conclusively what to do in these situations. Knowledge can save your life. A few weeks ago, I have no clue how to drive in snow. I grew up in Southern California. A few weeks ago, I was driving, and, and it started to snow really bad, and the ice got really bad. And, and so what do I do? I, we start sliding a little bit. I slam on my brakes, right? Because we were just sliding out of control. Turns out that makes it worse. We flipped around and hit the guardrail. Everybody's fine. The cost of me not knowing was right around $400. <laughs> not, knowledge can save you money, but knowledge can also save your life. My point is that knowing things, knowledge can save our life. Now, could we all know everything all the time? Absolutely not. But sometimes the cost of living in ignorance is just simply too high, and we need to know. Flip with me to the book of Hosea, chapter 4, verse 6. Hosea was confronting a generation that has forgotten and abandoned God. In fact, it, for God to, to put this on display, what he does is he takes his person, Hosea, and he says, I want you to go get married to a prostitute just to show the entire nation what it looks like when Israel follows these other gods. It's like an adulterous wife. So I want, you to, I want the entire nation to see that out of your life. So he calls Hosea to go marry Gomer. Hosea 4, 6 says this, my people are dis destroyed from lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. Hosea does not say, my people are destroyed by lack of faith. My people are destroyed by lack of knowledge. Because you have forgotten knowledge. And in this case, he, he says what knowledge is. The law of God. Honoring God. Following God. Teaching your children to obey this law. i tell you what, when you teach your kids, it, being in youth ministry, I could always tell the parents that were involved with their kids versus the parents that didn't have very much involvement with their kids. Because they had this base level of knowledge of things in life, in the world, that nobody else had. 
The kids that didn't have this, sometimes they had a completely different set of knowledge that came from coming home by themselves and watching TV programs that they should not have been watching at that age. So you could tell where people are based on this. And, and simply what was happening here in the book of Hosea is there's generations and generations of people not doing what God had said, teaching each other the law. And so these kids who didn't know the law or weren't knowing the law grew up and worshipped whatever else they wanted to worship, worshipped what was convenient to them to worship because they didn't have this base layer of knowledge. Now, I'm, what I'm saying about faith is this. Knowledge informs faith. Knowledge strengthens faith. Knowledge is at the base of our faith. So knowledge really is the foundational element of this. And we can't have knowledge of God, mainly because God's giant act of revelation to us, the world, is Jesus. And and God revealed himself to us in Jesus. And this book was written by all these witnesses. And we get to have it. And, and we could go on, and in fact, I could teach an entire seminar on how we believe the Bible to be accurate truth, and we could actually go through and do some apologetics and archaeological facts and all kinds of things. In fact, the Bible does inform the world. Um, this is not the main point, but let me make a quick point here. Um, do you guys know who Brian May is, the guitar player for Queen? Is it just me? You know. Am I the only one that sings Bohemian Rhapsody in my car? cranked all the way, and then I do the whole head bob thing when Wayne's rolled. Brian May, the guitar player for Queen, when Freddie Mercury died, went off and got his PhD, right? Who knew a rock star was going to go get his PhD? He got his PhD in interplanetary dust, space dust, the dust that travels around in space. And I heard an interview with him once, and he said, the reason why this is so vital to study this, because the obvious question is, why does anybody even care about space dust? And he said, the vital question why anybody studies this is because it is the basic elements of human life. What's contained in that dust is actually what's in all of our bodies. And then you begin to look at Genesis chapter 1. God formed the heavens and then the earth. So let's say the Big Bang happened. Great. Then God formed the earth. Out of what? Space dust. Right? And then he formed who out of the dust of the ground? us. And then scientists are, still, are finding out just now that we're made up of space dust. You're all a bunch of space dust. And that's a compliment, okay? If everybody's like, I want to be an astronaut, be like, I already made up of space dust. If you didn't learn anything today, at least you could say you learned that you were made of space dust. Anyways, my point is this. Do you think that 6,000 years ago, scientists and, and the thinkers were hypothesizing that human beings were actually made up of dust from the creation of the earth that was actually made up from space dust. Do you think that they even made that leap in connection? Science now is confirming what the Bible has said all along. I love that kind of stuff. So we can trust in the Bible as knowledge, and that's just one example, and we could go on and on and on forever on this. But that is simply one example of all of this. Getting back to my point with Hosea, what Hosea was saying here is, when you reject the knowledge of God, you begin to live accordingly. When you reject the knowledge of God, you begin to live accordingly, and that's exactly what was happening in Hosea. The people of Israel began to live according to the knowledge that they believed at the time. 
There's a lot of times we operate under false knowledge or knowledge that might not be true. And we live in a world that says, oh, what is truth and what is knowledge? Can we even have knowledge? Of course we can have knowledge. That's ridiculous. I love it when people say that. Can we even have knowledge? And I say, how did you know to eat breakfast this morning? Right? How did you know to, the, um, how'd you know to brush your teeth? How did you know which hand to use? How did you know to use these words? How did you even know to say that? Because you have some level of knowledge. Yes, we can absolutely have knowledge. And God gives us that knowledge in his wisdom. So, Hosea chapter 4. God says to Hosea, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Without knowledge, you can't really have a solid faith. And a lot of times we come to faith and then we need to grow that knowledge because what happens when we come to faith and, and we never grow that knowledge? We stall, we backslide, we do something other than follow Jesus. We act based on the knowledge that we have at the time. The Israelites had this special knowledge that God gave them just so that they could show the world what God looks like. So can we know that God exists? If so... If we can know that God exists, wouldn't you say that it's the most responsible thing to do for our lives to seek after that? See, knowledge comes, with knowledge comes power. Remember that commercial? It's like the more you know, and then it says knowledge is power. You remember that? That's true. Knowledge is power. But what's also true is that knowledge is a tremendous responsibility. Because once you learn and once you know things, you actually need to alter your life as a result. Does that make sense? So Paul makes this huge, grand argument, and, he, he's, and we're going to get to that a little bit later, um, about the law, and the law pointed out his sin, and he wouldn't even known what sin was if not for the law. He wouldn't have known what coveting was had the law told him not to covet, and that, that's the entire argument he makes in, in um, really Romans chapter 6, the entire chapter, by the way, if you want to read that, and going into 7. So, so Paul's making that argument that the law actually um, is God's knowledge, and, and it points us on how to act and how to live. But knowledge is responsibility. With knowledge comes all of that. And the knowledge that was lost was moral knowledge. And this is the great debate that we're facing in our country, in our world today. Is there moral knowledge? right? I mean, that's, how do you know that's true? How do you know that it's right or wrong? Isn't it intolerant to say this is right or wrong? Now, it's not that the word tolerance has changed definition. It's more so that our worldview has changed. A few hundred years back, our entire worldview was that the foundation knowledge of our world was that there's a God that loves each one of us. So we could disagree with you even the, and, and, and understand that God loves you and I love you. And that's how it should be, right? Isn't that a song? Okay. That God loves you and I love you. And that's okay because God loves all of us and is wrapped in this idea of God's love. And so there actually can be real tolerance. Now the word tolerance, it, it has changed definition really because of our worldview. Now our worldview is... Who knows, right? And is there really moral knowledge? And if who knows, then there is no moral knowledge, right? There is no right or wrong. Sex before marriage, who cares? Homosexuality, yeah, there's no moral knowledge. Stealing, 
it's relative. You know, everything is relative. And so when there's no foundational knowledge in a society, morals begin to collapse, right? So where we used to have a nation where people stood up and said what was right and did the right thing, I mean, Earl reminds me that um, the, that, uh, the past is always something. Anyways, he, Earl, Earl, it's a great statement, and I wish I remember it, but he essentially says that you think that the past was good, but everybody always thought that, even when they were living in it. Um, so my point with this whole knowledge bit and the word tolerance here is that it's changed to saying tolerance now is you have to agree with me or else you're being intolerant, right? And that's the way it has changed. So God is saying to Hosea, you guys have rejected moral knowledge. You've rejected me as your moral base. And a lot of times we think, oh, it's just our society today, but if you look back at different societies, that's happened all over the place. Let's flip real quick to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is an amazing piece of Scripture. I think that if, if somebody were to say, what's one of your favorite chapters in the Bible? I'd say John, probably John 6, just because of how incredible it is from start to beginning. And um, it's, I think, 68 verses. So we're only going to read eight verses. John 6, starting in verse 60. I want to tell you what's going on before this. Jesus is essentially reenacting the desert with Moses. And essentially what he's doing is he's providing food for them, just like God provided manna and quail in the desert. So Jesus is providing food for these people, and what he does is he says, um, this is my body, this is, this is my blood. And he's giving this whole teaching on communion. And in verse 60 it says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did, did not believe and would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned their back and no longer followed him. And you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Did Peter just say, oh, Jesus, we're just going to take you at your word here, and we're just going to have faith that you are who you are, and you say you are? He said, no, we, we come to believe, and we come to a point in certainty. Did they doubt? Of course they did. Even later on, you could see in Scripture that they doubted that he was who he said he was. But don't you want to have a type of faith that has this statement just written on your hearts. I've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. There are times in our, in our faith where we could have high faith and low knowledge. High belief and low knowledge. There are times where we have that. And sometimes we wonder why we crash and burn. 
in our faith. We wonder why it is that, that, that we can't live how God calls us to live. We crash and burn. I mean, I've experienced this, and I think sometimes it's because we get this emotional feeling, this emotional time of following Jesus, and we need to keep that emotional level all at the same level all the time. And God wants us to move beyond that into his realm of knowledge. I'm not saying all of you need to go to seminary and be students and scholars, but I am saying we all need to be disciples of Jesus and learn from him at his feet. Because as we learn and grow in knowledge, the chance of us having this giant blow up and, and fading out into backsliding whatever is so much less than if we weren't to grow in knowledge. Jesus wants us to grow in knowledge. How many of you were the people at camp that accepted Jesus over and over and over again? And you ran to the altar every time. You know, I mean, because we want that emotional feeling of faith, that emotional feeling of God loves us and has cleansed us. But I tell you what, later on in life, when you come to a point where you know and believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God, you have that feeling of comfort and satisfaction. And um, not only that, but you're courageous about it later on. Let me uh, give you an, an example about this. Yesterday, um, Dennis and I were working on the, the pipes. Uh, we were actually working on running some power. And, uh, and he's running a pipe underneath the ground. And, and, and I said, ah, I can't see it yet. And so he's tapping it with a hammer. And all of a sudden, he taps it, and he goes, uh-oh, and I see water shooting out of his end of the pipe, and water coming up uh, out of me, and so Dennis is like, we've got to turn this off. I mean, he knew exactly what to do. He went in, shut it all off, and all that. Huvenal, who's here, actually had a jackhammer in the back of his truck. I mean, who's got that, right? He's got a jackhammer in the back of his truck. Oh, we can just fix it, because I'm thinking, we've got to call a plumber, we've got to get Gordon's best, we've got to get somebody down here to fix this problem. Because I know that I don't have the knowledge to fix it. But Huvenal is just, get me some power. I'm going to start jackhammering this. I do not have the knowledge to fix that problem. Therefore, do not have the confidence to rip the ground up. Right? And a lot of times when we don't have the knowledge of God, we're not confident in God. We're not confident that God can actually save us. We're not confident that we can actually live in his presence right here, right now, and, and that life can actually change as a result of God being with us. We don't have that confidence a lot of times because we don't have the knowledge. Because these guys have been doing it for years. It was like, yeah, we'll just tear the ground up, we'll fix that pipe, and we'll get it all together, and we'll just get some cold patch words that I don't even know, and we're just going to put that all back together, and, and we're, we're set. And you go back there, and it looks like nothing even happened over there. I don't have the knowledge to dig the ground up. And some of us are paralyzed at our lack of confidence and faith simply because we do not have the knowledge of God. But God has this, and He's just waiting for us. And a lot of times we say, I wish I had more knowledge. And God's probably like, I wish you would just read your Bibles, people. <laughs> I, are you serious? Got this whole thing. Do you know the pain I went through? Anyways. So a lot of times, we can't live in confidence and in victory that Jesus has actually saved us 
because we don't have the, the knowledge to back that up. And, and Paul is making this point about the law, and I'm just telling you about Romans 6 and 7. Let me just read to you, if you, if you want to be up on the screen, Romans seven fifteen through 25. I do not understand what I do. For what I do, or I'm sorry, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. And if I do not want to do what I do not want to do, I agree that living in the law is good. As it is, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. For I know the good that itself does not dwell in me, but that is not my, my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but cannot carry it out. For I do not want for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. Now, he uses the word do way too many times here for me to read this in a legible way. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin that is at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. I love this verse because it's a perfect example of the reality that when you have that faith without a, uh, the reality of faith without a solid knowledge, without a solid knowledge of who God is, a lot of times we battle in war with ourselves. I do what I don't want to do, and I know what I'm doing is wrong, and I continue to do that, and I don't know why I continue to do that. Remember last week we used this verse in Jeremiah where Jeremiah was, gave a prophecy and he said, my law will be written on your hearts. And we talked about the fulfillment of that prophecy, that prophecy as the coming of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit comes and cleanses us, then it would be unthinkable to lie. It would be unthinkable to steal. It would be unthinkable to cheat. It would be unthinkable to do all this stuff, to sin. That just wouldn't be right. It would be completely unthinkable. So the idea here is that when we do not do what we want to do, and, and this whole uh, play that Paul is, is doing, going back and forth of sin and good, sin and good, he's saying, I couldn't do this without the Holy Spirit, one. But two, it's also this picture of what happens in our life when we reject the knowledge of God. We kind of know what's right. Like We kind of have this idea in the back of our heads what's the right thing to do, and yet we don't follow it at all. We need to be people who relentlessly pursue the knowledge of God. I mean, seriously, set something strict up in our lives so that we don't forget disciplines. Set something up so maybe it's for you, maybe it's reading the Bible. For me, what I love to do is I love to read the Bible with other people. Um, because I like to debate on it. Not, not necessarily debate, but just talk on it back and forth and, and, and really push and pull and, and, and really struggle with some Scripture. And that's what really grows my faith. And maybe that's what grows your faith. I, I'm not entirely sure. But we could do some great things with faith. 
We could do some amazing things. But following Jesus is not some blind leap of faith, blind leap into oblivion. Well, I'm just going to believe it and just leap into faith. I, I, I mean, leaps of faith are important. Once you believe and once you have knowledge of God, it's important to risk. Absolutely. But as you first start out, this isn't a blind leap of faith. You know, a blind leap of faith is going to 7-Eleven and buying a scratcher, right? That is a blind leap of faith. Completely blind. Having said that, I won. I'm kidding, I didn't win. That's a joke. <laughs> so I started by making two points. One, knowledge can save us, and in this case, lead us to faith in Jesus. And knowledge strengthens and secures the faith for the long haul. If any of you have ever read C.S. Lewis, there's, there's two authors I recommend to read everything that they have ever written, and that's Dallas Willard and C.S. Lewis. If you've ever read the Screwtape Letters by Dallas Willard, one of the things, uh, thank you, by C.S. Lewis, if you ever read the Screwtape Letters, one of the things that he tells, um, there, there's these conversations, fictional conversations between two demons. And one of the things that C.S. Lewis writes as a demon writing to another demon is, whatever you do, do not engage their ability to have knowledge or intellect because they'll eventually search knowledge out and find the truth. Never engage their intellect. Never engage their knowledge. And I just look back at that writing and go, wow, that is completely prolific. Because once we begin to be in the pursuit of knowledge and truth, we will eventually find it in Jesus. And that's what these demon conversations were having. Never pursue knowledge. Never pursue God's or never pursue what is right or engage on a level of reason. Because you always go back to God. Two, knowing makes us responsible. Once we know something, it's up to us to do something about it. When I first started in youth ministry, I had a parent of a student call me and tell me they were suicidal. Now, knowing that, what's my responsibility? To do something about it, right? I can't, I mean, imagine if I would have been like, well, you know what, I'm sure everything's going to be good. I'll call you in a week to make sure we're, we're still okay. Now, I, I, you had, I had to stop everything I was doing. I remember I was in the middle of writing a paper for a class, and I, and I emailed my professor and said, it might be a little bit late tonight, and if you wouldn't mind, maybe I could finish my paper and send it afterwards because it's, it's almost done being edited. And I went and sat with them right here in the church parking lot, and we had a conversation. And being so, I've never dealt with this before. I had no clue what to do. But simply knowing that this person was thinking about this made me responsible to do something about it. Does that make sense? He didn't commit suicide, just in case you're wondering what the rest of that story was. It was actually a very good ending to that story. But my point is that once we know something, we're responsible to do something about it. And I'm going to preach on this next verse I'm going to read in, in a few months from now. Matthew chapter 7. It's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Once we finish, we're going to talk about this. And, and, and Jesus is talking about all this knowledge that he just gave to his people. And he, he simply says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. In other words, 
these words of mine are like a rock to build your life on. Okay? These words of mine are a rock to build your life on. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew. In other words, life got really crazy. The wind beat against it, and the house did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. In other words, is like a person who rejected the knowledge. The rain came down. Life got crazy for this person. The wind beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Now Jesus is saying, you've heard all my teachings. Be responsible with them. Be responsible. Once you know, it's your responsibility to do something about it, to live that way. Build a life based on my teaching, and you will stand strong when the storms come. I want to read something out of Romans um, chapter 1 and then Psalms 19. I don't know if they got on the slides because I just added them this morning. And then we're going to talk about responsibility. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. In other words, what Paul is saying is because we can see the work of God basically in the heavens and the universe. And, and there's great philosophers today who try and um, decide, are, do we have intelligent design or are we basically formed out of nothing and there's nothing, there's just nihilism, there's just um, atheism is right and there's nothing. Well, most philosophers go, well, there's order in the galaxy, there's order in everything, and so this all points to intelligence. And Paul is making this argument 2,000 years before that argument ever existed. Smart guys. And he's simply saying, because God shows you his glory in the heavens, you're without excuse. You have no excuse when you come before him and say, well, you know, you never really did anything for me, or you never really showed yourself. You're without excuse. In other words, you're responsible for what you now believe and what you now know as knowledge. Does that make sense? So, we'll see this in a real-life situation. Your teacher teaches you. One plus one equals two. They give you a test. Does your teacher say, okay, now I'm going to give you the answers to that test simply because I want, I want you all to pass? No, your teacher's been teaching you this knowledge your entire semester at school and then gives you a test on what you know. Who's responsible for studying for that test? Us, right? Who's responsible for giving the, the answer? Now, now, again, I'm not trying to say Jesus is just trying to sit there waiting for the right answer. Because we talked about that last week. Going to, to heaven and knowing Jesus is not about minimal entry requirements to get into heaven. Doing all the right things is about living in his kingdom. But my point here is we are responsible for the knowledge that we are given and the knowledge that we have and the knowledge that we will learn. We're responsible for that. Nobody else is responsible for that. And that's why parents teach their kids, and, and then at age 18 or age 21 or whatever, they, they leave the home, and they're really responsible for what they know. You know, the parent is no longer responsible for what that child 
um, the, the knowledge that they, that they have. Now, they're responsible as they're growing them up to give them all that knowledge. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. The author of Romans, Paul, says, God is continually revealing Himself in nature. And our job is simply to pursue that knowledge. Because once we pursue it, once we do that, then we can be like what Jesus said about building your foundation of your house on a rock. And you could be solid. The psalmist talks about like a tree planted near the water. And as you're a tree planted near the water, I shall not be moved, right? Um, as you're a tree, I don't know why I can't think of hymns ever except for when I'm preaching. And it, Lindy is, tells me hymns all the time, and I'm like, yeah, I've never heard of that. And then as I'm preaching, I'm like, anyways, I remember hymns all the time. So you're like a tree planted near the water, and the idea is that the, your constant source of life is always there, and you'll always bear fruit, and you'll always stand firm based on the knowledge that you have. Maybe you're here today and you have faith in God, but it's not stable. Or maybe it's stable, but you would simply love to sit down with somebody and actually plot out a spiritual growth plan for your life. I don't know if any of you have ever done that. But one of the things that actually our congregational care pastor Paul and I were talking about is how do we plot out, for those who want it, spiritual growth plans for everybody in our church? Wouldn't that be great if everybody said, this is where I am and this is where I want to be? If we all had like a goal in mind. And so actually what we have are these cards in your bulletin. And it's simply just saying, I would like to, is that how you spell intentionally? I typed it, so <laughs> intentionally work on growing my faith. If it doesn't say intentionally, just know that that's what I meant. Um, and Earl always says he has no respect for anybody who can't spell the same word two different ways. So you can, I'm just creative. Uh, on growing my faith through knowledge this year, please contact me so we can develop a personal growth plan. Maybe you want that. Maybe you just simply want to, to say, all right, this is where I, I feel like I'm at right now, and, and this is where I'd like to go. We would like to help you. Paul and I and some of our other pastoral staff would love to sit down and help you develop this. Now, maybe you're at a point in your life, um, and, and we're going to find this out through these cards, maybe you're at a point in your life where you're, you could take somebody else through a spiritual growth plan, and you could help somebody else grow spiritually. Well, we need to talk with you, too, in this same capacity to see where you're at so you could, might possibly want to help somebody else walk through that. So... What I'm asking today is maybe you simply need more knowledge, and you want more knowledge, and you want to grow. And I would say that if you're teaching somebody else, then you definitely need to do this, because you always need to be growing as well. And so maybe today you simply need to say, Jesus, I want more of your knowledge, and we want to help you with that as a church, and we want to help you to grow. Ultimately, we want to see the kind of transformation that Jesus has to offer. We want to be his students, his disciples, and we want to see that transformation in our lives because we believe that knowing God is powerful. When you become a disciple of Jesus and you begin to know God, it is an absolutely powerful, life-changing, life-transforming thing because now we all of a sudden have a home base where we're solid, where we can have confidence in our belief and in our faith. 
where we can make leaps of faith because we have confidence, not because we're completely blind. But that's how we need to make leaps of faith. Leaps of faith because we know how good God is. Leaps of faith because we know that God grows people. Leaps of faith because we know that Jesus cares for us and wants to, to change everything and, and, and invite us into his presence on a daily basis. We could have that confidence. So today, simply, there's two things. One, fill out this card. If, and I encourage you, actually, all to fill this card out. So as we talk to you and figure out where you're all at and, and, and where you want to go, um, we could pair you with people. And, and we could even work with some of you or maybe even start some groups based on this. Because we want to see knowledge grow. Two, maybe you're here today and you, you just have no knowledge of Christ. And you're like, well, honestly, I don't know that God is God. I don't know that God is real. I don't know that any of this stuff. It, then there's a couple things that I would say to you. Um, not knowing, going back to this phrase, is a game of irresponsibility. It is. It seriously is irresponsible not to know. Now, like I said last week, there's a billion things I don't know. You can fill books and books and books and books and libraries with things I don't know. But when it comes to things that can save your life, not knowing is irresponsible. It would be completely irresponsible for me to take somebody who doesn't know how to scuba dive 130 feet down to a wreck. It would just be completely irresponsible. So I would say we need to, find, we need to begin to seek knowledge. And maybe you're there, and I simply would like you to come talk to me so that we can pursue knowledge together. Let's pray. Jesus... Um, we recognize that you are the source of all knowledge, that you are God, and that we actually can know you. God, we don't need to, 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 to just go with the wind and, and um, take these blind leaps everywhere, but God, that we could have confidence in following you, confidence in the victory that you have given to us. Because you came and revealed yourself precisely so that we can know you. God, as a church, we want to know you deeper and better. And I, I just pray that you would lead us to a point where spiritual growth would just be on the forefront of our minds. Where growing deeper with you would just be like a knee-jerk reaction thing that we could do. God, would you lead us to that point? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.